1: Welcome back everybody, another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy and today it's just us. It's well, just
0: Danae and I. Kind of love it's just
1: us. Just us. <laughs> um, we once in a while we will just kind of get inspired to have a conversation and then we're like, wait, should we just record this conversation? Because <laughs> we're going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> um, I actually came to Danae this week really. Um, for those of you guys who don't know, because I haven't really talked about it too much, I am writing a book with my partner um, that will be out probably sometime in 22, 2022, which seems simultaneously like forever from now and also tomorrow. But we are really tackling a lot of the relationship dynamics that I just think are really common and trip us up when it comes to how we relate to each other, right? Especially in romantic relationships. And hmm. the one that was really alive for me as I was doing more research of it when I was doing, you know, this chapter in the book and I'm kind of playing with it right now as um, the terms over-functioner and under-functioner. Mm. And, you know, today and I have talked a little bit about this. Like we've talked, we've talked about it. I feel like in terms of realizing which side of the spectrum we fall, how that has shown up in our relationships, all these things. But also I think before we jumped on, I was just saying, I also don't remember ever hearing these terms in grad school. It's not really yeah. something we learned.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like we were both in agreement that Brene Brown was sort of our introduction to this as, um, as a way of speaking to these dynamics. Like, I feel like there's other ways that people speak to this, and yet. It's so funny how much without having that specific language mm-hmm. I feel like you and I talked about it constantly like in the context of our own relationships the way that we show up in the world um either as like you know the person who struggles with codependency or the person mm-hmm. who struggles with the feeling that they're just always the screw up who's like falling short or whatever way of um naming it and mm-hmm. I think this overfunctioner underfunctioner term really Put name to and a way of explaining and describing something that people have been experiencing in all of their relational um, dynamics for a really long time.
1: Yeah, and what's interesting to me, and I and I don't have the answer for this because I feel like I'm still in the collecting information phase, but I see so much parallel with the work around codependency. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether whether it's the codependent and the addict relationship, whether it's the Uh, people pleasing that codependence. Her to do. I don't know. I I just, for me, when I, I guess when I saw this, this terms, I was like, oh, that just feels like what I've already been speaking to in my teachings on codependency and just haven't actually specifically called it that. Um, I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts on, I I guess before before I get here, I should actually give a little bit of like a a definition, if you will. Um, And so I'm actually going to give you guys a little excerpt of, of kind of what I've been writing. So, in the book right now, and who knows if it'll say this way by the time it, it's actually released, it'll probably go through 10 iterations, but the way that John, my partner and I are looking at it is through this lens of in our relationship, um, what we're kind of naming this chapter right now, you're not my mother, mm. I'm not your son. Yes. And so for us, we've really seen it show up in our relationship in my propensity to mother, right? Um, To nag, to mother, uh, to be the responsible one, you know, in air quotes. Um, But so I'll break down what it is, right? So both are actually behavioral responses to anxiety, um, fear of vulnerability and getting hurt and a struggle with communicating needs. Mm. They're both learned through family and society and practiced until they become deeply ingrained ways of relating in relationships. If I am uncomfortable, I'm just going to read this. Sorry, guys, but this is the best way for me to do it. If I am uncomfortable with other people's struggle, with things not being in control or done a specific way, with a fear of the unknown, with the feeling that comes with deep the deep desire to be taken care of and truly seen, I will most likely over-function as a way to soothe these anxieties." On the flip side, if I'm uncomfortable with being connected to my emotions, feelings around inadequacy, not believing I have the ability or resilience to take care of myself or others, and not being good enough, I will most likely under-function as a response to these anxieties and
0: beliefs. Yep. That, that sound? <laughs> I think that's <laughs> glorious. Um, yeah. I mean, just so beautifully written, V, and such... Um, like a beautiful articulation of the way that I feel like these dynamics play out. And, you know, it's interesting. I think often when we talk about codependency and the dance of codependency, um, there's so much about you know the way that codependency is described i feel like societally in the context of the overfunctioner where it is mm-hmm. often very much a dance that the underfunctioner is in as well and yeah. that's not named as much right like we don't we think of like the addict quote or the underfunctioner or the person who's the screw up is not being codependent and mm-hmm. not needing to sort of self soothe by continuing to play this role of the underfunctioner but you know as someone who would identify more in the under-functioning realm throughout my life, I would say it is absolutely, um, and more recent that I've realized that, you know, like that was a dance of codependency that Mm -hmm. I have played throughout my life. Right. Like I found, um, a little bit of self-soothing in the tendency to allow someone to function for me Mm -hmm. because that created an attachment, right. That somehow, um, Made me feel like, you know, I was giving them what they needed in order to continue feeling the attachment and the love from them, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I wonder too. Well, well first and foremost, yes, on the, the codependency thing, because uh, I think I actually have a tendency to do that as well, which is not articulate how frequently and how often in a relationship. It's not just one person that's codependent, right? Yeah. It almost can't I be mean, that way. It's can't like, be. not, it's not actually possible, right? Like, you have to have a codependency in both people for them to be attached in that way. Mm. Um, and I, I actually called John out for that pretty recently because him and I did a podcast episode where we spoke about this and I kept talking about my own codependency. Like, I'm very, you know, outward about it and whatever. And he, the way that he spoke about it was a little bit more like, oh yeah, you, like you, the codependent. And somebody actually DM'd me and said, "You know, I love your stuff, whatever, I think it's beautiful. I will say that I listened to this one episode and I think it's really important actually that John realizes like you can't be codependent on your own. Like he's just as codependent as you are. And I think you guys actually should speak more to that when you talk about your relationship dynamics because you're not the quote unquote problem. Like it is your dynamic, right? So the way that I usually say it when I'm teaching classes is, our unconsciouses are drawn to each other for a reason, right? I always say there's never, and I I didn't make this up. I'm sure I got this in grad school where I'm like, there's never two people in a relationship. There's always four. Mm. There's our two conscious minds and there's our two unconscious minds. And we think that we are calling the shots, right? Like we think our conscious minds are in the driver's seat and 99.9% of the time they are not. Um, You know, my desire to mother, to be in this like over-functioning role goes hand in hand when somebody's unconscious is attracted to me because they have a desire
0: to kind of underfunction and allow that mothering to take place. And I think that there's ways that you hear this spoken to like mm-hmm. you can't have a coda without an addict and vice versa, right? Like it's always a dance between two people to your point. It's always like some sort of unconscious subconscious draw to one another um based on like something i think we're attempting to heal mm-hmm. but certainly the ways of being that we um have adapted throughout our life in order to like survive right
1: right I have to read you all so like I said as I'm doing research now I've got this like way of being able to articulate you know what does it actually mean like a definition or whatever but as I was doing some research I actually read this article by a woman on psychology today her name's Kathleen Smith um, she's a phd and she gave some like actual tangible behavioral like bullet points and I'm not gonna lie I felt real called out like yeah, I have never, oh god I have never read so many bullets Points where it was like, I guess again, I teach codependency classes, right? Like, I am super aware of my codependent bullshit. But when yeah. I read these bullet points, I was like, Holy shit, I wouldn't have even put those in the category of overfunctioning until I read this. And I was like, Fuck, that's my overfunctioning. That's my <laughs> overfunctioning. That too. Like, I literally uh, left, like, Oh no. My I'm like, Oh, now one, I want to hear them. My whole life is one giant overfunction. So, mm. okay. So she says, Using phrases like "no worries" in emails to calm other people down.
0: I'm like, oh, I do that. I, know. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> oops.
1: Um, finishing people's sentences when they're anxious.
0: Do it all. Oh, the you time. do that,
1: <laughs> my love, <laughs> all the time. John has gotten so mad at me specifically in restaurants. I do that for him. Hmm. Um, he like, whatever. He'll, I'm sure he'll hear this and this feel called out. He doesn't listen. <laughs> So like the server is standing there and like, he'll either like mumble or he won't listen or he like won't articulate. And so I like step in and articulate for him basically. Mm. And he's actually called me out before. And I've tried
0: really hard to be more aware of that, but that's just so hard. It's so Uh, funny how, as you said it, I was like, you do that. I kind of love it when you do it for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's why you and I also go well together. Um, Always picking the restaurant for your friend group. Mm. Mm. That's the best thing about you. Um, Reminding people that they should really hurry up and book their travel. (laughs) And literally I could have written every single one of these, um, doing something for your child that they can do. So it would create less of a mess. I'm actually very conscious of that one. I try really hard not to do that, even though I know I want to, um, doing something for somebody that they can do because it will take less time. All the fucking time. Hello, my entire 10 year career in advertising, um, Taking on a task at work because teaching another staff member will be frustrating. (laughs) I just laugh at every one of these. Um, Keeping a mental schedule for your partner because they often forget appointments.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, we have a shared Google calendar for the success. I'm like exhausted.
0: I'm like, you do all
1: this? I know. Um, Here's a good one. Telling people on the internet what they should think or how they should act all y'all trolls out there, like, that's some that? bullshit that I don't do, that I don't do. Oh. I don't consider myself an internet troll. Um, telling somebody what to order, researching information for someone who can look it up, um, creating a secret alternative plan when you know someone will mess up. Totally have done that before. Um, giving your adult parent dating advice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, explaining someone else's thinking in a work meeting when they're present. <laughs> I, I have to laugh at all of these, um, updating your friends and family about people that they could very well contact themselves. Uh, yeah, I could go on and on buying someone a self-help book that you've recommended. That I'm one
0: fine. cracks me up. <laughs> Can I just tell you, I'm like overwhelmed with such a sense of like one, like, man, it is good to be the underfunctioner. <laughs> <laughs> Which I say with a lot of like, I don't know, like guilt at the truth of that. And I think so much compassion for what it is to hold, you know, as the over Um We were hosting a retreat a few months ago. And I remember, um, I don't know if you remember or have thought about this, but like the morning of the retreat, I texted you and I was like, yeah like Christmas, like V, it's retreat day. I'm so excited. And you texted me back something to the effect of, I'm really glad I have you in my life to remind me to pause because I get so like in the details of things that I don't get into that like giddy space of excitement. Mm -hmm. And I remember I like, it like made me cry. Like I felt so much like emotion about what that is for you to carry all that you carry as an overfunctioner all the time and how much you know sometimes i think it robs the overfunctioner of um of life really mm-hmm. you know what like i get to be like like two more days until this thing while meanwhile your head is spinning attempting to keep yourself safe with what could conceivably go wrong
1: yeah. right and i think that's the point right to take away from this if you're listening which is like i said earlier when i was reading that definition you know, each of these are done in a response to the own the other person's anxiety, right? Your own anxiety. Um, and for the over-functioner, it really is this constant attempt or this constant like scanning for danger, right? Mm-hmm. It's this constant attempt to keep yourself safe. Uh, and so, you know, we all know logically that it's complete bullshit that we have any kind of control mm-hmm. over our lives, over people around us, over what happens, what doesn't happen, right? Like we know that. But there is such an unconscious, like you know, survival-based thing that we do, which is this: it's trying to control every detail, um, including the people around us, uh, in order to make sure things go smoothly. There's no surprises. There's no hiccups, um, because in some way or another, that will that will make us feel safe. Um, yeah. And you know, it doesn't, and it just it perpetuates itself. It's just a cycle, which is unfortunate. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Tell me about the underfunction. Because <laughs> well, I have to laugh at this. But you know, I'm I'm real familiar with this with myself. But I actually think I don't know. The reason why I was even talking to you about it this week when I was in my writing mode is obviously I know my world, right? Like I know why and where and how I fit in. Um, and I know it from observing my partner show mm-hmm. up in the underfunctioning space sometimes. But what does it feel like? Like I know what it feels like to be an overfunctioner, but what what is it like, I guess, on your side of the spectrum?
0: Yeah. You know, I think, and I certainly feel like when I think about, um, I don't know that I, let me back up. Um, I don't know that I claim the underfunctioner yeah. as much as I might have at one time in my life. Right. right? Like, I feel like there's a lot of me that feels like, I am continuously in the practice of stepping into my abilities and stepping into my power. But absolutely, there was a period of time where I, you know, certainly um, in my family of origin and in my um, previous marriage, there were a lot of ways that I sort of would just like sit back and chill and let the um, over-functioners in my life handle things knowing that they would because they always had, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what does that cost the underfunctioner? I think it certainly costs them um, a belief in their abilities, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, a, a feeling that I am always the one letting people down, that I am always the burden for someone else to pick up the slack for. Um, and that you know, in a lot of ways, I think you feel disrespected by the mm-hmm. overfunctioner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Like if, if you respected me, if you believed in me, if you really saw me, um, you would, you would tell me I can do it myself. Like you wouldn't yeah. do these things for me. And I think that that's, you know, I, I think we've talked about a little bit that there are some times that I think the under-functioner will give things to the overfunctioner, yeah. like let them handle it because one, it's, it's what they do and, and that's their role, but also a little bit of a sense of like, I know that gives you purpose. I know that mm. gives you a sense of like something to do. Right. So, um, So there's that. But there's also like, I know you don't really respect me. And I think if we're talking about it in terms of like romantic relationships, that will never be um, a relationship where we both feel seen by the other, like that we are somehow on par if one person is essentially parenting the other person, Mm -hmm. right?
1: Right. Well, right. Like there's no bigger boner killer <laughs> than feeling like you're I in mean, a relationship with a parent, right? Um, doesn't Esther Perel talk a lot about that, right? That dynamic and how it actually kills libido. Um, Absolutely. Because we are hardwired, right, from survival to not mate with our parent. Our <laughs> parent. I mean, it's I like, we can laugh, but it's like no joke, right? Sarah Paul talks about how like that is such a dynamic. And, you know, as I was writing this chapter, a lot of the research I was doing is like, it's not always this way, but it it, it very commonly shows up in a gendered way. Like it's very hmm. common for the woman. If we're talking heteronormative, you know, relationships, it's like, it's very common for the woman to play the over and the male to play the under. Mm-hmm. And it has to do a lot with like socialization, right? And how much that robs us of our ability to, connect deeply. And I think exactly what you said is so on point. It's this feeling of like being seen, being respected. I would even say feeling safe with that person.
0: It's interesting hearing you say It in the context of like a gendered role, you know what other thing I think it has to do with, and this is something that John and I have connected on. I think it has a lot to do with um, what the dynamics were in my family of origin. Mm. Like you were the oldest, John and I were both the youngest. youngest, We both um, had a certain amount of comfort in our like family um, socioeconomically. You've talked about like how that wasn't the case with a single mom, you know? So there was like, a lot of that was like, the survival of like what I had to figure out as like a parentified child.
1: We've talked about how him and I are very similar in that way.
0: hundred percent. Like you guys are both very parentified children. Both had to be very involved in the struggles of the adults in your world where that was not something John and I experienced. Mm -hmm. We got to really like drop into being children. And both of our parents were sort of like, um, both of our sets of parents were Mm -hmm. both sort of like you know, um, kept, like maybe shielded us from some of the struggle, so that we could be children or like, didn't want us to have to be in that. But I think, you know, that the cost of that is sometimes, um, I'm not aware of like some of the skill sets that mm-hmm. I need to step into and learn, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: Yeah. And so I guess to bring it to the place of like, what do we do with this information? Right. I mean, I know for me, obviously with anything, it's about understanding it first, really having like a deep understanding of it, and then just really paying attention to myself and how I show up, right? And I've obviously been this way my whole life, but it's never really been called out to me in a way that I felt like um, I could talk about it with my partner until John, because uh, you know, in past relationships, it was very kind of aggressively put back on me. Um, you know, like stop fucking doing that you know you're you're fucking nagging like all of the things that I would hear um but would get me defensive and wouldn't really allow me to open up to like the why is this person saying this or like how are they feeling in this dynamic whereas deeply shaming I mean oh it's I mean yeah that's so much of the especially my one main like longest relationship I think there was a lot of shaming going on actually me to him and him to me um but I think with John, while he's been activated by it, and we've gotten in fights about it. I mean, don't get me wrong; it hasn't always been just like let's sit down and discuss this like adults. Like there's actually been fights, especially in the beginning. Mm. Um, but he's he's been able to tell me, you know, you're doing this thing, but this is specifically how it's making me feel, which I think mm-hmm. has been able to give me like a oh shit, I should stop and be empathetic. And actually, what I've noticed more recently is that I actually noticed that it feels gross to mother. I don't like the way it feels in my body. If I catch myself, it's like this really gross, yucky feeling of like, "Oh, I'm doing that thing again," mm-hmm. um, which I don't think I used to be aware of. Obviously, back you know in other relationships, so I've gotten better now. I think at calling myself out at it, you know, that I was doing it the other day, and he left, and I actually texted him and said, uh, "So I think I actually said I was mothering. Like I realized I was mothering. You know, I'm sorry, blah blah blah." And he wrote back like right. Thank you. It, you know,
0: it's just the groceries. Like I can handle it you know, It's something over something really stupid, but I really want to take a moment though, of just, um, acknowledging that within you, because I think that there is a tendency in my experience to, as the over-functioner sort of, there's a self-righteousness mm-hmm. and I think totally. it takes, a lot of like emotional maturity ability to look inward and and reflect to even take the feedback of how this makes the other person feel mm-hmm. right like i think it's just very easy to defend in the fact of you're the <laughs> you're the one not functioning right like i have to do all of this but to sort of stay in that discomfort of this is creating a feeling in someone i care about that i don't want to create for them i really take think takes um just such a strong sense of self and it really makes me admire you a lot um well it's hard to be that it's hard to
1: take responsibility for that right like cuz it does feel gross like there's and there is a lot of shame around it when i do it because i'm aware of how unhealthy it is i guess I think I would say about all I, I, any pattern I have that like shows up and I'm like, oh, I'm doing that thing again, you know? But I, I think that comes with a lot of people when they, when they start becoming super aware of their patterns and it's almost like you're watching yourself from outside of yourself
0: and you're like, oh God, you're doing it. Stop doing that thing. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think it's like, we so often talk about with our codependent tendencies or any of the other survival strategies that we've had to adapt. It's like, I did this because this is what I needed to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And if I hold it that way with, you know, um, just the attempt to keep myself safe mm-hmm. that it stemmed from, there's a lot of compassion that comes in, right? Like I think on yeah. both the overfunctioning and under-functioning side, a lot of this is like survival strategies from childhood.
1: I mean, yeah, I would say almost
0: all of it is, right? Yeah,
1: Yeah, I I will say like tangible strategies. One thing I will say that it's helped me, and I mean, one could still argue that this is actually (laughs) me still being in control of the situation or trying to control the situation is, you know, I've been, I found myself getting resentful over the emotional, what's the term that I've seen used a lot? Like the emotional labor around the Mm -hmm. house, right? Like there's a lot of conversation around like the actual emotional labor and who does that. I found myself getting resentful around doing all the things. Um, And so what I've been doing is saying to myself, you know what, Vanessa, it actually doesn't matter who does, like we had our sliding door replaced recently, right? As an example. And it's like, it doesn't fucking matter which company you use. Like ask him to get three quotes, right? Like just say, hey, can you get three quotes? And then like, we'll we'll discuss it and we'll choose. And so in, in a specific project like that, where I would have just normally taken it on myself and done it and added it to my already kind of full plate, um, I just said to him, hey, can you handle this? Can you get three quotes? And then we can talk about the details. And he did, and it was fine. And I just let him handle it, right? Or like our backyard is under kind of construction right now is the same thing. It was like, this is on you you manage it. Like, of course I have input, but um, so I guess strategically all that to say hand certain things over, right? Like if you are the overfunctioner in your relationship, it actually will behoove not just you, but them too, to actually say, you know what, this is a project I do not have to manage. And I'm actually allowing my overfunctioning to kind of rear its ugly head. And so I'm going to, I don't care how uncomfortable it is, consciously take this project and say, here you go. Can you please handle this? Um, And you know what, when they handle it and they do it well, it does create a sense of safety for me. Like it made me feel good that he did it right. And, and did it well. Um, So that would be one, I guess, like tip that I could give that's helped for us. Um, Yeah.
0: But I think a lot of what you're speaking to, I hear mothers so often talk about in terms of the emotional labor and we talk about this a lot that a lot of our work as mothers um when we're in that space of overfunctioning becomes to say it's not going to be the way i would do it mm-hmm. and i surrender that right mm-hmm. like you know let's not let perfect be the enemy of the good enough um the way they do it is not going to not going to be the way i would do it and that's okay right like if they've got food in their belly it may not be Cooked the exact way that I would do it, and have the seasoning on it that I would put on it, and all of that. Like, it actually is not going to kill them, right? Like, it's okay. Um, so, I think a little bit of like letting good enough be good enough can be a useful mantra in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> was that a visceral reaction yep, to that? that was a- <laughs> Ooh, that's
1: hard. That was a- Ooh. yeah,
0: yeah. You know, and I think um, in terms of like good enough, what I would offer as the under-functioner that is attempting to sort of step into a sense of self more is just a little bit giving yourself permission to be a work in progress, right? Mm -hmm. That you don't have to be um, doing things to the standard of what the... Overfunctioner in your life, or the person that is like the model of how things could be done perfectly, might do them that you get to be a work in progress, that you get to be an acceptance of yourself where you are, I think is really important. And also, I think it can be really empowering, helpful, necessary to ask the overfunctioner to help me to do it instead Mm. of doing it for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I think this for me with like um, my ex-husband, like he always was like, he would do the taxes. He would be resentful of doing the taxes, Um, whatever, you know, the stuff around the tax, you'd like tax time. He would ask me for it continuously. And it'd always be like, yeah, yeah, I'm getting to it. And finally I, I said, you know, when I sit and think about the tech stuff, I feel flooded. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like I don't even know where to begin with this. So I don't even wanna like think about it. And I'm gonna ask you to sort of compassionately hold my hand through this process. I'm getting emotional as I say it because that's how much of a like visceral um, response of like feeling inept it brought up for me. And I said, you know, I'm asking you to sort of slowly walk me through this and um, and to maybe not feel like, oh, this should be obvious because it doesn't feel obvious to me. And I'm um, I'm vulnerable around asking for your help with how to do this, right? So I think sometimes speaking to the over around, I would like you to teach me how to do this instead of doing it for me so that I can learn and start to believe in my ability to do it myself, you know? God,
1: it takes a lot of vulnerability to do that. You know, I imagine a lot of people, I mean, myself included, it's like, well, it's really difficult to go there because it feels so, it feels really unsafe sometimes.
0: I think on both sides, you know, Mm -hmm. again, like so much of this is like, this is what I know how to do and stepping out of these ways of being, Mm -hmm. um, I I think is healing on both sides. I think letting go of all of the emotional gymnastics that I'm doing as the overfunctioner is deeply healing for our soul, you know, just feeling into the experience of things are okay when I go with the flow of life. But I think there's so much healing in the under-functioner in stepping into their power of mm-hmm. like the self-esteem that it builds in those moments that I did something for myself, you know? That's really, um, I think just as healing.
1: Why do you think then, if you were to think about somebody like, let's just let's just psychoanalyze my, my partner for a second.
0: Oh, good. Uh, I want no part of this. This is my I exit the room. I'm not getting in trouble.
1: Like, why do you think then somebody like a John who <laughs> I feel you like kidding? actually has like a lot of confidence in a lot of areas. Mm. I wonder what that is for him then, because I wonder if it is actually self-esteem stuff. Um, you know, kind of like deep rooted, almost like you were saying, like childhood, you're the youngest, you've kind of been almost shielded from that, and in a way, in in some way, made it feel inept, whether that was like the intention or not of, of the parents, right? It does it stem still from that when it, it's coming from somebody who outwardly seems like they have a lot of confidence in their ability to do things that seems to the other person, like it's all over the fucking place and there's no rhyme or reason for it. And they're like, well, I love my, I love this. I'm great with this. And you're like, what are you doing? Um, I don't know. I, I just wonder, like, is there different, I am sure like you and I are not speaking to like every over underfunctioner in the world. We're just speaking to our own personal experience, but I wonder what the different,
0: um, lead-ups to those behaviors are. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I will say, as I listen to you say that, you know, I mean, we talk about all the time how like, sometimes you'll be like, you know, cause we're like best friends, like, and that's what best friends do. You'll be calling me when John does something to piss you off. And I'm like, well, I kind of see where he's coming from <laughs> because a lot of the way John and I experience the world is really similar. Um, and I do think that there is something to this thing of some of the things that are like, some of the details, some of the perfectionism, some of the, like every, like, everything matters that over-functioners have, under-functioners just don't experience the world that way, from my perception, like, yeah. and I kind of stand by some of that, like, I don't think everything's a crisis, I don't think everything matters, you know, mm-hmm. like, some of the, like, I watch, like, I mean, God bless you, like, the, all that you do, um, to, like, Logan's meals. Like you're like this amazing super mother. And, um, I like, I'm in deep acceptance that that will never be me. Like I, I cannot be, I'm not interested in being like Carol get whatever he gets to eat and he's fed and that's fine. Um, and so I think there is some of that. And I think that, you know, we've also talked about like circling back to what I was saying before, there's some of like, I think an underfunctioner can feel like, this is like, what makes you feel good to like Mm. do things for me. And, um, I'm I'm not going to fight you you on it. Like, obviously you want to like, and yet he
1: felt very, uh, mothered, like in a lot of ways, it was very, it was very triggering for him. So it's almost like, it's like this battle between your conscious and your unconscious. I think sometimes of like consciously, if you guys can hear that helicopter consciously i'm aware of what's going on i'm going to i'm going to choose to just let you do this cuz it makes you feel good but there's still this like sticky um uncomfortable i'm not super happy with it that goes on
0: well it's it's the devil you know too yeah, a little yeah. bit right like i know in my marriage there's like I I would, I would have like such an ambivalence between yeah. like, it feels good for you to parent me because I don't have to worry about it and stop being my dad, you know? Right. Like, right. That's what it feels like. It's like, <laughs> it's like you go back and forth and I'm sure as the overfunctioner it's like, do you want me to handle this or don't you, you know, like I'm mm-hmm. sure. But also I do think that there's like a deep internal struggle around, um, yeah, part of me, like, this is what I've always known. People take yeah. care of me. That's the thing. Right. And also, there's a resentment there, right? Like what, you think I can't? Like, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like the duality of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, it's important for us to have these conversations within our relationships, right? Specifically, this one I think has been very helpful for him. And I. I mean, all of the ones that we cover in the book, you know, whether it's attachment styles, love languages, whatever have been helpful, but I think over and under, probably within the realm of codependency has been helpful because it's helped us depersonalize mm. the behavior, right? So that specific instance, like I was talking about where I was like, I was just being, I was being a little neurotic about the grocery list and like not wanting him to go. I was just going to do it myself. And it was going to put this big wrench in my day. And he saw that and tried to help me and was like, I'm going to go. And I'm like, no, you don't know where this is. And I'm like, I had to get all these specific things for recipe. And that specific instance that I mentioned earlier, you know, he genuinely left the house kind of rolling his eyes, but not taking it personally and really being able to be like, oh my God, this is just her being like, she's like on one right now. And like, you know, I'll just kind of let her like a puppy. It's like running circles until you tire yourself out. Um, and so I actually think that that response from him, how he responded in that way, um, which was really a no response to be honest, Um, a little bit of like a gentle push, like, no, I'm going to do this. Like, give me the fucking list. I'm going to do this. (laughs) Right. Uh, Actually helped me then send that message of, okay, I realized I was doing this thing and I'm sorry. I think had he taken it personally, been pissed off, gotten defensive I would have gotten defensive. My walls would have come up. I wouldn't have wanted to apologize, right? And I would have dug in my heels around like, well, the reason why I can't do it is because I don't trust you to find blah, blah, blah when you go to the grocery store, right? So I I think there's something to be said too for like, if we can depersonalize as best as we can because we're human and we get defensive, it also helps the other person in a way um, see their patterns, see themselves. And it's not shaming. It's just like, oh God, I did that thing you
0: know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, we so often talk about like, can I get still and be curious about the narrative that's happening for me around whatever this is? Like, what is the story I'm telling myself about what this means? What will happen if it doesn't play out this way? What this person thinks about me and maybe name it, maybe, um, you know, just give myself a second to maybe sit in the space of releasing whatever the fear is that it's bringing up, you know, if I don't like get control of this situation, like what, what do I imagine will happen, right? What, what will happen if he gets the wrong black beans or what, you know, whatever the thing is, I can't believe you're not getting these groceries delivered with all this on your plate. I'm just kidding. Um,
1: Cause I don't trust some fucking 22 year old kid <laughs> to pick out my asparagus and have it be what I want
0: it to be. You, you trust know? no one. I don't trust oh. anybody. <laughs> yeah yeah that's a problem <laughs> well and I just think so much you know I, I always come back to like the compassion that stirs in me when I hear you talk about it because I think to trust no one means that I'm holding the entire world in my hands and mm-hmm. that's a lot to hold my love
1: mm-hmm. working on it and there you are. so beautifully so gracefully well, I would say the same about you, stepping mm-hmm. into all your glorious power that you've had all along, but you just <laughs> were one of, were with one of us over function. I love you. I love you. All right. Well, hope that back. was helpful. <laughs> insightful. Good talk. <laughs> we'll see you guys in the next one.